This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best fully functional GPS when you're out of service. Offline maps allow you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline, so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away, so it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. This is the Meat Eater podcast coming at you from a, a portion of Idaho that flows into the Snake River. That's right, right, Callahan? Copy, correct. Copy. Yes. The reason I can't tell you that is we just got done mule deer hunting and Callahan, um, he's real skittish. He's got little spots all over and, um, in multiple States even, but he gets leery when you talk about Northern, can I say Northern Rockies, Cal? I mean, the Rocky, I mean, what's Northern Rockies? That's British Columbia. Okay, the Rockies. Rockies. You're calling me saying we've been hunting in the Rockies. We've been hunting mule deer in the Rocky Mountains to not betray anything. What what I think ought to be illegal, this has nothing to do with, with, with any of this, but it's just been something that's really weighing on my mind. What I think ought to be illegal is um, ads, hunting ads, where a dude, hunting ads that show a dude with like a rack on his pack when you know that the, that it was just a rack someone had laying around or in a freezer. Especially when that dude is still looking very sneaky. Yeah. Because to me, I'm like, that guy's a poacher. They, no. It's like <laughs> the way those pictures yeah, look. Yeah, you're right. Why is he still They're always still, still sneaking. Like, yeah, he's still sneaking, and he's got nothing else with him. Like, Lord knows where the meat is. He's got, like, a rack... And he's always standing on a pinnacle surveying the landscape. Dudes packing game don't look like that. No. They don't look like dudes that you want to run into for the most part. Dudes packing game who actually have a rack on their back look like some guy that just is like in the suckiest situation imaginable, can barely walk, and is on and is headed in a downhill direction and is not going out of his way to climb pinnacles and look all majestic and survey the landscape or to be a dude like with a big old rack and he's like crossing a raging river with a mean look on his face and he's still got his bow already i just i i, I the situation never happens i would make an ad of a couple dudes who just looked like they hated their lives 
and had no weapons because they left them at another part of the trip. They'd like this, their third trip in their, in a fight because they're fighting about something and one of them's knee hurts. That's right. And it'd say like Steve's gear. I told you we shouldn't have taken that trail. Yep. I told you. The other you. guy's readjusting his hip belt. Yeah, the other guy's trying to figure out what's wrong with his backpack. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah. dude, it shouldn't hurt my neck this bad to have a backpack on. Why is it that either my hips kill <laughs> or my shoulders kill It's when it's supposed to all be evenly distributed? Yeah. That would be a realistic ad. But no, it's a guy looking like like a makeup person might have put a little dirt on his face. And he's on a, he's like, surveying a majestic mountain scene rifle in hand and like some giant elk rack where you mysteriously can't see any part of the thing or some of the guys are sneaky and they keep a bloody old skull in their freezer the sneaky but the the all of these guys even if they're surveying some scene they're in they're always in like a semi crouch like a semi sneak yeah i'm like it looks majestic yeah i'm just thinking about this because we just did like I mean, it wasn't even a huge pack out. But as the way out, I was thinking, like, if you took a picture of me for an ad, I don't know what the ad would be for. Bayer? You wouldn't be selling anything. Bayer. <laughs> Bayer <Astro. laughs> No. You look like somebody you would never, ever, under really any circumstance, like, pick up off the side of the road. You'd be yeah. like, that guy's having a hard time, yet there's something wrong with yep. him. So yeah, like, there's something about... Blow on by. Yeah, there's something about how miserable he looks that gives me the willies. There's one guy, I don't know a name who he is, but there's one guy I know that must have kept a skull. He had an elk skull in the freezer because I feel like that elk skull popped up in more ads of packing ads. You know, what we're doing today is we're answering, um, we're doing, we're here with Garrett Smith. Garrett. Howdy, everyone out there. Garrett has a uh, electric toothbrush. Um, lives in a vehicle. Just getting done living in a vehicle at 32 years of age, but has an electric toothbrush. And he got an electric toothbrush because he thought it was a step toward adulthood. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps toward adulthood. That's forty dollar toothbrush. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a calculated move. Yeah, he he, he blew he blew forty bucks on a toothbrush that makes a humming noise. <laughs> Ryan Callahan. Hello. Uh, Giannis Van Zwal Putellis. And Adam, I don't even know your last name that well yet. Moffitt. That's right. Yeah. Adam Moffat, who's a, a, a camera guy. The first time we ever went out with you. Yeah. Did you have an enjoyable time? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. You guys taunted hard. It was tough, but fun. I got to see Callahan's mustache. <laughs> You got, see, you got to see more than that. Yeah, I dig it a little more than that. Callan came back into camp wearing nothing but his suspenders one night. <laughs> and his mustache. With a mustache and a pair of suspenders. And <laughs> the reason for that being. But it was like, what were the suspenders holding up? I his pants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't just clip. <laughs> he, just, he, he needs that kind of the old clip so he can just like clip it to his buttocks and his hips. <laughs> This was not a uh, fashionable moment. It was very dark out, and uh, I had, had taken the majority of my sweaty clothing off and draped it over a mule deer, so the black bear that I had... I want to point out, he chase, left to go get a black bear and came back with a deer. 
yes, came back with a bag of guts from a deer. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm not, uh, Adam pointed out, I looked like a fat stick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're 140 pounds, but you have a beer gut. <laughs> How's <Skinny> that work? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I had peeled off, uh, my, a good portion of my clothing to put on top of the deer to to keep the bear you were trying to kill from eating your deer or give me some peace of mind or something yeah, yeah so i feel like that trick works we did that all the time leaving elk overnight yeah you don't success. know it empirically no but man it but it feels like it would work i pee around put clothes on it it can't hurt Mm-mm. i've never seen bears get on carcasses faster anywhere uh, than Colorado. So I think if, and you're talking about doing that in Colorado all the time, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, if that for me would be a pretty good litmus test. My brother lost a good portion of an elk to a bear last year. I'd like to ask him if he did the clothes trick or not. That was archery too, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. What he not did is he boned out, he left the four legs on the bone and boned out um, the rest. And the bear ate all the boned out stuff and buried all the bone in stuff. So he loaded all the boned in stuff, dug it back up, put it on his llama, brought it down to a creek and washed it all and got out of there. Because he'd lost his quiver in the night. Because he, like, heading back to his camp after dark, threw the latch on his quiver. He had one of those uh, tight spots, but he didn't have it on there right. No, I thought your brother was... Um Shot uh, recurve or longbow. Or That's my other brother. Oh, this, that was Danny. No, Matt. Danny is the traditional. Oh, Danny is a traditional. Well, I mean, he okay. likes to shoot a recurve, but he hunts with a, primarily with a rifle. I think he right, killed like right. a deer with his recurve, but he likes to shoot recreationally. Oh, okay, gotcha. My other brother shoots a compound, and he don't like to hunt with a rifle. He just likes to hunt with his bow. Matter of fact, he's got a mountain goat tag, and right now he's hunting mountain goats with his bow. But he's bringing his rifle, too. I told him he's going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the end of uh, Commando when he raids that island compound with a duffel bag full of weapons. He's going to have a caddy. Yeah. He'll be like, yeah, this is about a 250-yard shot. Uh, Give me my bow. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those special podcast episodes where we answer questions. Um, here's the first question. This is, I, I, everybody gets a chance to answer this. It's from a, oh, what the hell town are we near? This is something from this town. We're in the middle of the Rockies. <laughs> well, I just had a weird thing happen where I felt like I'd entered like another dimension because the guy named Drew says this. Is that the town we're in? Look at the bottom of that. Darn close. Darn close. A fellow darn close to us right now has this to say. So I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but I have a buddy who is convinced that the Clinton administration's main motivation for reintroducing wolves back into the West was for gun control. With wolves growing at an exponential rate and negatively impacting ungulates, the tradition of hunting would diminish over the years. With fewer and fewer hunters, the sale of new firearms go down, and in time, hunting won't become an American value. Garrett, what's your take on that? I think his buddies got to focus on another field of study because <laughs> it personally if, if that's we'll, a roundabout way of going about stuff yeah yeah you're like you're like taking like the real like long gamble on that i got, I got an idea 
I got an idea. Dust particle Hear me lands out on, on a feather. Hear me out on this. <laughs> feather floats too. No, Drew, I uh I think there's no there's no question how uh, the Clinton administration past and the potential Clinton administration future feels about firearm regulations. There's no question there. Do I think that they would uh, have the wherewithal and like the crystal ball clairvoyance kind of thing to like have such a long drawn out plan that seems so um, sort of sketchy in its inception and difficult to track and I don't think that's the case. What I think happened, I don't think there's a big mystery about why wolves are back. I think wolves were reintroduced because they had been extirpated, regionally extirpated from human-caused activities, and we have an obligation to remedy human-caused ecologic catastrophe. It's not always popular, but I think it's our obligation. Um, we can't drive animals to extinction. I think it's it's bad business. It's bad spiritually, very bad. Um, depending on your worldview, I think it would be a, a sin against God and man to just accept extinctions as a matter of course. So I think that there was an obligation to right that wrong. Now, I'm not commenting right now on whether or not we should regulate wolves. I think wolves should be regulated like any other big game. I think they should be at this point managed in places where they've recovered. I think they should be managed on the state level as a renewable resource. But no, I just I, I think your buddy's off. I think your buddy maybe smoking a little too much herb. Um, one thing I think when I when I see a question like that is uh, this is writer Joan Didion, and she has a book called Slouching Toward Bethlehem, or maybe it was the, she has another book called The White Album. I can't remember which of her books this was in, but she was talking about. In the 60s now, not now, but this is going on in the 60s. She's talking about, because there's so much information out there that people get, like, that the more information that becomes available and the more widespread and easily accessible that information is, people get more hungry for, like, the secret story, you know? We were talking about this earlier today in relation to how it seems that people that smoke a lot of weed really start getting hungry for those inside scoops my brother believes that it's the same kind of guy who's hungry for an inside scoop is the same guy who likes to start smoking a lot of weed and it's not that smoking weed makes you hungry for the inside scoop that no one knows the real truth about yanni do you think that's why do you think that was the ultimate goal of wolf reintroduction no disarming america i agree with the the uh smoking too much woohoo um Really? Yeah. What if he's never smoked weed in his life? He needs to start. Too much time. <laughs> Maybe starting will help calm those nerves. Adam, are we missing anything on this question? No, no, yeah. I, I, that just seems so implausible. I mean, yeah, I just don't feel like it really warrants really much more of our time. Wrap that one up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm interested. All right. You guys always go into – this is a question now. You guys always go into such great detail – in your discussions. Oh, it's a compliment. That wasn't even part of the question. I would love to hear about your recommendations, experiences, horror stories on traveling by means of airplanes, navigating TSA, 
passports, visas, customs, packing guns and cameras, packaging and traveling with meat and hides. Um, leaving like production element out of it, which isn't as interesting to me, like the cameras and stuff like that, and leaving the passports and visas out of it. I think I, what I like about this question is the traveling with game meat. I like that aspect of this question a lot. And I like a little bit the travel with guns thing. Um, in all the travel with gaming I've ever done, I've lost, one time I lost a bunch of American eels. It was very hot. They were lost in the Billings, Montana airport. I was coming back from New York State with a bunch of eels. And by the time I got them back, it was just a sack of slime and eel bones. I mean, it was, it was bad. It's the only thing I've ever lost. I'm pretty careful about it. I like to freeze stuff, put it in a cooler, duct tape the cooler shut, um, and check it. And even if it were to get lost for a day or two, the stuff's going to stay pretty good inside there. You can, when dealing with small amounts, like I've taken turkeys, and instead of even trusting that I would lose the turkey to baggage loss, I just carry the bird on. I one time had a bag of pig guts frozen in my carry-on they pulled it out to inspect it and had no comment on it i another time had a shotgun shell in my carry-on and that did not go smoothly i had i I was interviewed by the police and they knew like i was like man we were just hunting tarm again i forgot to take the shotgun shell in my bag but they had like a whole rigmarole they had to go through and they knew that I was obviously just, you know, made a mistake, but they still had to notify the police and fill out a, you know, a bunch of paperwork. And they were kind of annoyed with me because you could tell that it happened to them every day in Anchorage. Some Yahoo has a thing. Yanni, tell your story. About shotgun your, shell about your story? turkey, your dead turkey and your shotgun shell. Yeah. I guess that was just last year, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think have we done a shoot and then I was maybe I stayed no, to we, hunt. It wasn't a shoot. Oh, we were just hunting dogs for fun? Oh, no. We were turkey hunting in California. Or no. Or was it Wisconsin? I think it was, it was my my personal trip. I was hunting with my dad and my brother in Wisconsin. Okay. I, was, I was coming home. Anyways, checked my bags, went through security. What was it? You didn't tell them what's in your bag. Well, I'm, I'll get to that. Oh, you're doing the story. And you wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't tell the story in this order, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I'm coming home from a turkey hunt. So I check all my bags. All I have is my backpack with my laptop in it on me. And they call my name, Janice Putellis. Please come back to security. <laughs> and um, I roll back in there, and he's like, we found a loose. Uh, oh, so I walk through the door. They take me through the back door, and they've got all these stainless steel tables set out in this room. And I had packed my not-yet-frozen turkey parts just in Ziplocs, double Ziploc bags. They were, they were cool. Just packed them into the middle of my big duffel. Like it was a skinned yeah. turkey yeah, like cut had, up into like legs and breasts. And exactly. Stuff. And so I walk into this room, and they've got – you know, we have these giant – I don't know how many liters those duffel bags are of ours that we have, like 75, 80 – Maybe even bigger. Those all, big rubberized North Face duffels. Yeah, all yeah. my stuff is spread out, you know, just like individual. <laughs> it was like turkey because I was bringing home like wings and and you know feathers for my girls, and you know all the meat and just everything's just spread out everywhere. And my gun case is actually locked up, like it's off to the side. I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. It was kind of funny, you know. So they told me that the the meat is what ticked off the X-ray machine because because like I 
the big turkey breast kind of looks like a glob of weird yeah. matter, I guess. So they went in to check at that, and they found a loose shell in there. So you can have you know ammo in your baggage, but it has to be in a, in a uh, container like, made for the purpose. Yeah, yeah, either original packaging or like a plastic container made to carry it. So and it's not supposed to be able to touch. Mm. Like you know, twenty two shells come sometimes just touching. Yeah, it's supposed to have dividers. Oh, no, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. So. He shows it to me, and, he, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, man, because I had just heard your story. So I was thinking, now I'm going to miss my flight because I'm going to have to go through, like, the big, you know, police interview and yada, yada, yada. And he goes, he, like, makes a phone call and goes, nope, we just got to pitch this. Well, I look at it, and I had a, a box of 25 um, turkey rounds, like, in one of those, like, aftermarket plastic boxes, you know. And 90% of them in there were like the heavy shot, the stuff that's like four or five bucks around. And then there was five that were like some cheaper Remington stuff. Well, he's holding the heavy, a heavy shot in his hand. I'm like, you know, if we're going to throw a shell out, you know, maybe I could do a little swap because I've actually got a container in my, in my, you know, gun case locked in there. And he's like, yeah, sure. I don't see why not. So I got to keep the heavy shot. That is amazing. I kept my heavy shot and pitched the Remington. That dude was probably a turkey hunter, man. Apparently it doesn't hurt to ask. Now, we had a fuel canister. Yep. Um, we get into a situation a lot of times. You're buying bear spray, and you can't fly with that no matter what. And fuel cans. You can't fly in commercial airliners with fuel cans. And I think we had a $4,000 fine for a fuel can from TSA. That never even, made, fuel? never even made it on the plane. Isopropyl stuff. Mm-hmm. Never even made it on the plane. Oh, Not gosh. isopropyl. What's the word I'm looking for? Isobutane. Yeah. Never made it on the plane. So they call one of the guys, one of the guys we're traveling with. They call his name because like, we're just checking bags under whoever's name. He goes down. to like, hey, there's this canister. He's like, oh, hell, I don't need it. Throw it away. He thinks nothing of it. Couple weeks go by, a letter of four thousand dollar fine shows up in the mail. A lawyer got it down to half that. Unreal. Yeah. I would say uh just to throw in like one helpful tidbit here, if you're traveling internationally and you're looking at your flight schedule and you're like, Oh, don't have any long layovers, you may want to adjust that so you have two hours. At customs, mm-hmm. I, I think two hours at customs is minimum. kind of the minimum. I think we had minimum. two. We had and two, and it wasn't enough. The it gun stuff enough. throws them for a loop. It does. It throws them for a loop. There's just some formalities. Now, if you're like, I'll tell you one. The biggest tip I would give, the biggest trouble I had, if you if you are traveling internationally, is go to U.S. Customs and have them give you a. There's a form that even has a standard number. Basically, you write down what your rifle is: serial number, description of rifle. They stamp that form. So when you're coming back into the U.S., like people are always worried about what the other country's government's going to think. But when you're coming back in the U.S., you can't just be turning up in customs with a gun. They're going to want to know, is that your gun? Where'd you get the thing? So getting that, and I had, I didn't do this one time and it caused all kinds of headaches. Get the customs form and get it stamped saying, I own X serial number firearm. What scope is on it? Serial number of your scope. So when you come back to the U.S., you can go like, I left with this thing. Look here. It's a temporary export and then import form. Yeah. That That can cause trouble because they don't want you just turning up at the border, toting guns that they don't know how you came into it and what it is. and So you got to watch out for that stuff. 
Just flying generally, if you've never flown with a firearm, it works like this. I'm talking general domestic travel. You got to have a hard-sided case and you got to have locks on it and have it actually locked up. You got your case locked in such a way that you cannot get the gun out without undoing the locks. I've seen people take a regular case and put a little padlock on the two parts of the handle. And I had a couple weeks ago, I had a woman in front of me get turned away by the TSA because he just threw the latches and pulled the gun out. Lock wasn't doing shit for good because it was right locked in the middle of the case. So you got a hard-sided case that is such that you cannot get the firearm out without removing the locks. They don't care if it's two locks, three locks, four locks, one lock. It's got to be unlocked to get it out. It doesn't need to be a TA, TSA lock, like the universal locks. It doesn't need to be that. You go up, you tell the, at the check-in counter, you say, I'm traveling with a firearm. They're going to give you a declaration form. All the declaration form says is you're saying the firearm is not loaded. Depending, you can have the ammunition in the case or not to be safe don't put it in the case have the ammunition in a hard case meant for the purpose of transporting shells the reason i don't like the paper cases is because they can just get messed up paper rips whatever they spill out you could have trouble so go and buy those little four dollar five dollar ammo cases taped things shut put your ammunition in there have it labeled where was i you tell me sign a declaration you put the declaration into the case. You then will walk your firearm. This is gen- most airports. You'll either walk your firearm to a TSA oversized baggage area, and they'll swab the outside of the case while you stand there, never even open it up. Or the ticket agent will send it back on a conveyor and tell you to hang tight till she gives you the word. Then they'll go and check your firearm. They'll give you the wink and a nod. You get on the plane generally nine out of 10 times you go to baggage claim, your firearm does not come out on the carousel, but you go and you need to present an ID to a baggage handler at oversized baggage. You guys feel that that's true? Yeah. It's yeah. pretty simple. But I would say also that because of the liquidity, is that the right word to use for that, of those regs yeah. and rules? They change, and then you got to argue yeah. Yeah. with the ticket agent because you know the rules better than they do. Exactly. So what I was going to say is like, do your research ahead of time. Maybe print out you know a few pieces of paper from you know their website that has their rules and regs. Because if it's someone new and they haven't done a few of those and they don't, ha- it's busy. They don't have the help that can back them up. You know, you can do yourself uh, you know a huge favor by having that mean like, look, got this right off your website. Yep. Here it is. Here's the deal. Um, you know, because when and international airlines can be different because what you just described is domestic, but we just went over to, you know, BC a month ago and Air Canada, you know, you cannot now have ammo in with your rifle. But they didn't even know. Exactly. We had to argue with them about what it was. She's like, no, you can't anymore because there's just a big snafu. And the other woman's like, no, you have to now because of the big snafu. Right. Yeah. And then they get a third guy who jumps in with his own opinion about the whole thing. But that's international. It's like, yeah. Do your research. I'm just saying, like, generally in the U.S., that's how it goes. But if you're flying into Bozeman, Montana, those people are processing firearms all day long. They know the rule. If you're flying into weird towns, like, let's say for whatever reason, you're flying a gun. I don't know. I'm, I'm pulling this out of my ass. Let's say you're flying into Miami. It might be good to be prepared to present at the Miami airport someone to demonstrate that you know what the rules are. I one time in, in New York State, so any airport run by Port Authority, which is a police, it's like a 
police department that sort of operates on behalf of New Jersey and New York with ports and airports. They have their own procedure where when you go to check a firearm, they have a Port Authority police officer come to the ticket desk, ticket counter, and that Port Authority police officer records the serial number, makes sure you have the proper permit to have a firearm in New York City if you're flying out of New York City or flying through New York City to go hunting. Then they escort you to the TSA. Now, I knew that I was supposed to be escorted by a Port Authority police officer. I had a ticket agent assuring me I was not supposed to be escorted by a Port Authority police officer. They had me walk my own gun over to the TSA, and then I wound up having to sit there in a little cop office explaining my story until the ticket agent person came and clarified that I did, in fact, argue with her and that she messed up. So, yeah, be armed. But I don't don't like it to sound like a horror story, man. It's generally, like, shockingly easy. Yeah. How 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 early do you get there before your flight? Then? No different than normal. No different than normal. Two hours. No, but I like to go early. Yeah, I like to go early, and I buffer with a firearm for sure. Yeah, another half because hour, I never know. Forty minutes. Like the other day when I was checking in in Seattle, for whatever reason, they just had they were just like backed up with the the TSA guy was backed up with people's golf clubs and skis. You know, what I mean, and it was just he was having a slow time of it. So I leave a little buffer. Um. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. 
I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying? I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. Looking at these questions here. Could I say one quick thing about production flight? Or Yeah, please, man. Well, do that while I pick out a good yeah. question. Well, the thing, the thing we've had issue with is the lithium batteries and like trying to kick, take as many of those and carry on throughout the crew because they will ping sometimes and you have to deal with that. And we always carry on a full camera kit with media, bats, audio. So if check baggage gets, yeah, know, ends up, you still up and you can still yeah. keep rolling while you wait for everything to come in. Yeah. So you know, there's that that whole like rumor that TSA agents are really rough on hunters' guns. That's why you need to cite them in when you get what you ever heard that. It's like why you when you travel internationally or you know domestic when you go and you want to cite your gun and as soon as you can because. The baggage handlers kick your guns around, right? I had to rough I, on everything. Yeah, it's just general. Like I always I don't thought think it was they kind of guns. I, I've never had it. Be, I, I mean, I've, I've had, curious. I've never I've had seen more it. TSA's guys be all excited about what you're going to um, hunting for. I think it was rough on bags. Yeah, no, I agree. You ever sit in a plane, look out the window, and watch them load bags? <laughs> they could care less, dude. Yeah. Couldn't no, I couldn't believe it. Last time that happened where I actually had that view looking out the window. <laughs> and I'm watching this guy, and he looks like he's my size. And he's grabbing our Pelican cases, which weigh 50 to 80 pounds, you know, and he is making sure that he's getting them airborne before they hit the conveyor belt, you know, like he's just like, yep, getting my training in right now, you know, I just couldn't believe it. Like those things were landing with a nice thud. Yeah. Okay. I will add it is nice if you're talking about buffers to look somewhat like you do in your passport picture. (laughs) <laughs> the only reason I ended up in the room for further review when we came through customs after the BC trip this year is because the guy kept looking at my passport picture from when I was 22, 23, and looking at me at 32 with the mustache. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, I'm going to send you back for further identification review. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's like, Every, when you get, I go back to the back room, the rest of the crew comes through and they're dealing with all the production stuff. And they're like, oh, you guys are traveling together? Like, lumped them all into one group. And then it was yeah. like, let me see your pa- you know, firearms and all this stuff. Had I just looked a little bit like I did in my passport picture, I would have breezed right through. See, that's why I like a guy like me who's timeless. <laughs> it's just one of the side benefits of being right. timeless. Can't grow facial hair. Yeah, yeah. Being yeah but you wouldn't shave your mustache for that BS. No way. Well, I'm, I got to get a new passport picture. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, all right. My buddies are giving me a hard. This is a question. My buddies are giving me a hard time because I took a 300 yard shot on a goat yesterday. Where is he from? Does he mean mountain goat? Oh. Wish I knew what kind of goat he's talking about. This is already a great question. My buddies are giving me a hard time because I took a 300 yard shot on a goat yesterday. Oh, a lot of dudes, especially more and more every year, call antelope goats. I wish you'd clarify. Not that it's going to affect the answer. My buddies are giving me a hard time because I took a 300 yard shot on a goat yesterday with my 30 30. My point was that it was 300 yards straight. But I was 280 yards above the target, which means my horizontal was 150 yards. So he's saying angle compensated. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's saying because it doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> oh, let me let me take a look. He's holding I, for short range. I don't know. Don't you think, Yellen? Oh, you know what? He's talking about some kind of wild goat because he's now he's going on about Hawaii. Oh, okay. I'm gonna parse the question out because I think he's saying he's, he's he kind of goes on about archery. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes and no. I don't even know what. Let me take the first part. Let's two questions. 300 yards with 30, 30. I think 300 yards is 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 a long shot for a 30, 30. Because they really start to drop off. At what Yanni Yanni Van Zwall know. At what point is the thirty thirty <laughs> at what point is the thirty thirty really start to drop off? I don't really know. I mean we know that it's definitely a slower round, but I would think that with today's ammo, you can probably get something that a, a hotter thirty thirty round that could that still has some could, energy. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, so there you have it. Um three hundred yard shots. This is just a perennial thing that comes up. Like, what, what kind of shots are too far? It's impossible to answer. It's not impossible to answer. There's some guidelines. A shot's too far when you're taking it and you're, trying to, and you're wondering or not if you're going to hit it. He fails to mention if he hit the goat. But yeah. If oh, can, if I, can I add on to that just real quick? Please. Can I finish, up, finish it up? Oh, I didn't the, know you were. The, the very uh, – this just popped in my head because I read another question earlier and I was thinking about it, but – the way to answer that and to figure that out is basically whether or not your bullet, whatever velocity is it's doing at 300 yards, if your bullet is still performing. You know, so a lot of bullets say they perform, you know, um, down to 1800 feet per second. So basically, if your bullet is dropped to 1700 feet per second, when it hits, it's not going to expand. It's yeah. going gonna to retain its shape and just going to pencil through the target, pencil through the animal. I, so you're not going to get that mushrooming. So I would look at, you know, look at the ballistics chart. If you don't get the mushrooming, you're not going to get the damage to the animal. Chances yeah. are the recovery is going to be yeah. much harder. Yeah. I shot a deer at 460 yards through the lungs with a, with a monolithic bullet, solid copper bullet. The wound channel looked about like if you took an arrow with a field tip and poked it through the animal. This thing, didn't, it was through the lungs. It didn't even register the hit. He kept chasing does and then got a little woozy looking and fell over. No, no it was like he didn't know. I'm sure he felt it was like he didn't know what happened because that thing didn't have enough energy to open up. And it was a, it was a bullet that already had almost like 100% weight retention or something. You know, it, was just like a, it just took a lot of velocity to open that thing up. They make some of those solid, they were into those solid copper bullets that were supposed to pedal 
but it took a lot of velocity. So that, that's a good point to bring up is like the energy, you know, because if oftentimes you look at a ballistics chart and you'll see a number will be red, you know, and it'll, it'll be like at what distance does that thing lost so much velocity that it doesn't have the energy anymore to mm-hmm. get it to function. But, they, I, don't, but I, I think if the guy, I'll just say this, I think if this dude here is really fixing to do a lot of 300-yard shooting, and I don't care about all the new definitions, a 300-yard shot is a shot that you have to pay attention to. I agree. That's bordering on, even by Western standards, a 300-yard shot is out into the marksman. It's out where marksmanship matters, right? 100 yards, you can be six inches off, you know, and, and be in there. 300 yards, you have to be doing everything right. 300 yards, minor mistake. Becomes it a big area. Becomes a big area. Yeah. If this dude is, and he's hunting goats, and I know he's in Hawaii, so he's hunting like I'm talking like little barnyard goats, which are small. I would think that he would, if he's going to get serious about this, and that's his new norm. I would think he'd be thinking about a new rifle. Yeah, I, I, I could be completely wrong on this, but just from you know my. Growing up, I've never heard of a thirty thirty being some, you know, an accurate weapon to begin with. It's yeah. always been like a saddle gun type yeah, of thing. Exactly. It's like, yeah, guys, I mean, the only guys shooting thirty thirties anymore seems to be like guys shooting bears and lions with hounds because they're shooting out of a tree right up right above them. But the other thing is, it's like, sure, it, it, let's say it does have the energy. The thing is, when you get, a, when you get a, a, a bullet that has a lower muzzle velocity and it starts to drop off, it really matters. Like, there's a big difference between an animal at 280 yards and an animal at 300 yards when your bullet's losing inches, when it's losing inches to gravity over short spaces because it's traveling so slow. Like physics 101, if I took a bullet, let's say I'm holding, let's say you're shooting 150 grain bullet, okay? And I took a bullet and held it out at arm's length and dropped it from my fingers. And at the same time, I shot a bullet at that height perfectly on a flat plane. I shot a bullet from that height perfectly horizontal. Those two bullets hit the ground at the same time. It's not defying gravity. I open my fingers, the thing hits the ground. So if you're shooting 500 yards away, your bullet is traveling in a downward thing. As it slows down, that becomes more exaggerated. So unless you're really good on range and you have a great range finder, if you're just guessing like, oh, he looks 300 yards away, but you're in fact wrong and he's 340 yards away, that's not a very forgiving cartridge. Like, let's say you had some, you know, let's say you had a 300 when mag shooting 3,100 feet per second, the bullet's going to be a, a lot closer to your point of aim at 340 yards than one that's just poking along. Put that in better terms, Jan. You're better at that kind of stuff. No, you're exactly right. But I mean, I think you explained it very well. The thing to remember is that even with a 300 wind mag, the difference between 300 yards and 340 is Sizable. needs to be compensated for. You know, uh, to shoot flat out to 350 yards you know very few cartridges are really you know have a maximum point blank range of of something that far what's that rifle floyd was talking about 3378 so it's a, a 378 neck down to a 30 cal i think he was saying that he has point blank out to four something 
Yeah. So he's got a he's got a souped up real fast rifle that he can zero at two hundred yards and basically aim on an animal where he wants to hit out the, anywhere from zero to four hundred yards to be within three inches. Yeah, and I bet they zeroed because they knew they were going to take long shots. They probably zeroed at three to get like a point blank range out to four plus. So then, if the deer jumps out and he's twenty yards away or he's four hundred yards away, you just aim where you want to hit and pull the trigger, and you'll be within a few inches. Yeah, but it doesn't. I mean. To go back, it does not matter where that rifle zeroed at. If you suck at aiming. If you suck, yeah, man. <laughs> if you suck at shooting. <laughs> if you jerk that trigger and you're shooting something at 400 yards, you're going to be either getting a very gut-wrenching lesson or missing completely yeah. at 400 yards. Yeah. My personal, for me personally, if I can't, uh, 400 yards is as far as I like to shoot. At animals, at living creatures, 400 yards. That's just where I'm at personally, and that's just the, you know, I know I mentioned one earlier, but that's the first I've ever shot at something, at an animal. Um, for, if, I can get, like, if, I, if I'm hunting, I can get within 400 yards, and I think that that's as good as I'm going to do, I will take a 400-yard shot with its light wind or no wind, and I got a good rest, all that kind of stuff. Um, I took a 392-yard shot the other day, and was it was still a good hit, a little higher than I would have liked. Out much further, you know, it could have been real bad. It wasn't where I it wasn't where I called my shot. It was within inches of where I called my shot, maybe six inches of where I called my shot. Eight inches, it could have been trouble. Just do me a favor and talk about your setup for that shot. And this was a real hunting situation, a heart thumping hunting situation. Let's just say. I was already setting up for that shot before I even, I found an animal from a long, let's say I found an animal from 800 yards away, maybe. I identified a ridge that no, would. No, we ranged it. What was it? It was six something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because we, we were guessing the shot was going to be anywhere from 350 to 400. So. Yeah, so it was like 620 when we found him. So I found an animal 620 yards away. The next ridge I thought would probably give me a nice shot at it. It was a mule deer buck who was kind of running a doe. They looked pretty settled in. I wasn't, it wasn't like a race. I wasn't racing the deer. It wasn't like the deer was traveling and I was trying to race it to a meeting point. I was already thinking about my shot. The minute I, I had to go across a little gully and climb up the other side, and I was thinking about my shot the minute I hit the bottom of the gully. I didn't run up that hill. I went up that hill at a very slow pace. Because I was going to get to the top of that hill and I wasn't going to be winded and I wasn't going to be shaky from exertion. So I was already thinking, if I get up there, I'm not going to rush this. It's going to be a long shot. I'm going to do everything right. I took my time. I stopped to keep my breath because I wanted to hit the top of that hill fresh. I also, on my way up that hill, ran through my head all the things a fella could do to screw up the situation with the shot. And what criteria needed to be met for me to touch that trigger? Because it was a buck that I very much wanted to get. Um, and I had set some parameters in my head, like what's, what's green and what's, re- what's a green light, what's a red light, when I get to the top of the hill. And I had settled that in my mind. I wasn't leaving it up to moment-by-moment moment situation. Got to the top of the hill. 
Um, I approached the crest so that I had some rocks off to the side of me to give a little contour to the hill, and I had trees behind me to break up my outline. I crawled up. I have a butt pad I use, and I'm glassing. I had my butt pad out. I pushed my backpack up ahead of me. I put my butt pad on my back pad to help get everything padded out right. I moved out ahead with my hand and matted down some grass that I didn't like being there. Um, and I got line. I waited for the deer to turn broadside, got lined up. I did my little test where I'm lined up on it and I closed my eyes for a three count and then opened my eyes back up and see if my crosshairs have drifted off. That's a good one. I like that. I can't remember who was just telling me that. I, I've never heard that before. Oh. In like an actual hunting situation. Yeah. That's great. I remember this guy. I'm trying to remember who it was. I was talking to a military shooter who was talking. God, I can't, it doesn't matter. I was talking to a military shooter who uses that, that just, trick. You do that to see if, if so you're torquing your, it. your body's in a neutral position. If you're torquing it. Interesting. Because you'll like, he said he thinks you'll subconsciously torque to get on. Yeah. So he closes his you eyes. You want to make that shot. He so closes his eyes. And then opens and sees if his thing is drifted because your body's working with your eye and doing stuff. And he's like, for a dead rest, it should be like, of course, you can't walk away. Like in some way it's resting on you. But if you're doing that little torque, you won't be able to keep it up. You won't be able to do it right when your eye's not on it because you're holding it just so. So he likes to close, open, and if, see if the crosshair drifted. I even did that. And then pop. Could I ask about the red and green light? I'm just curious about that. Oh, just meaning, or I mean, what they were. Okay, I had. I'll just come out and say it. Yeah. I had screwed up. I had. I missed an antelope in Wyoming because I got up to a spot where we. I was on a stalk, and I got up and I had it in my head where these animals were going to be, and got up and they weren't there. I'm like, what the hell happened? Started thinking that I misjudged where I was. I was on the wrong hill. Stood up and I was like, started to entertain. Like, did I like totally misread the situation? They should be right there. And all of a sudden, the antelope blows at me, and they were down below me, and they took off running, and then they stopped, and I didn't. I just like it was two hundred fifty yards, and I didn't do my checklist, and I just laid down and like took a stupid shot and shot over an antelope's back and just hated myself for it, and. When I say a green light, red light, is like asking yourself, okay, what conditions need to be met here? Yeah. You know, the conditions with that buck the other day, the conditions that need to be met is I was going to be, I was going to be like, I'm either going to do my checklist and close my eye and do all that garbage or I'm not going to shoot. Yeah. I'll come back and try to find the buck later yeah. if he's gone. It's like going to have it be perfect. Um, or he'll be 50 yards away and I don't worry about checklists because I can just freehand it. But, the other part of his question is, is like, uh, this is something that comes up all the time, too. Like, if you're shooting at an angle, yeah, the only thing that matters is the horizontal distance. If you somehow, let's say you're in a tree. Let's say you're in a tree that's 200 yards. You're in a tree staying 200 yards off the ground. And there's a deer at the foot of the tree. You're holding for a one-foot shot. You're not holding for a 200-yard shot. Horizontal distance is the only thing that matters. That's another part of this question. That, anyone have to add to that? I was always in this. I was misled, maybe, but like if the animal's below you, you aim high. 
And same with if no. the animal, that's just you do need to picture yeah. the animal's position and what the line of travel of the bullet's going to be through the animal's position. Yeah, you got to factor that in. But you'd aim as if you were shooting perfectly flat. You use your set, your knowledge of anatomy. Yeah, to figure out where on that thing you want to hit in order to get through where you're trying to hit. Oh, I got you. If you're directly above an animal and you want to hit through the lungs, you're going to be burning a hole down through its backbone yeah, yeah. between its shoulder blades yeah if you were somehow in some situation i can't imagine directly underneath it you're gonna be sending a bullet up yeah into its sternum like whatever you know from anatomy where you want it to travel through and you know from anatomy at what point on the outside of the animal you're trying to place your arrow or bullet but to get to that point you hold only for horizontal distance yeah vertical distance doesn't matter because it's that's just how gravity affects the travel. You want to add to that? You know, I, I just want to say that, you know, Steve goes through this checklist and he's thinking about this shot and it's a 400-yard shot. 400-yard shot is a long yes. shot. I'm saying it was shy of 400 yards, but, I mean, it, it is a long shot. And there's a lot of people talking out there right now and have been for a long time about how they don't even – start getting serious until they're out seven, eight, a thousand yards. Um, and for some reason I find it entertaining that they always mention the caliber that they're shooting. Like it's some sort of validation yeah. of being able to shoot those distances that if you aren't calculating and thinking about these mental checklists and what has to happen, what criteria have to be met in order for you to touch that trigger you should not be taking those shots, regardless of what sort of size cannon you're packing around the woods. Because you don't know. There's a couple things. One of the best things about long-range shooting, um, one of the best arguments against long-range shooting came from a guy, one of the guys I know who's one of the most capable long-range shooters at a range. What he was talking about, is something you don't hear many people discuss, is the amount of time that elapses between when that bullet leaves the barrel and when it arrives at its destination 800 yards down the line. And that amount of time is enough time for an animal to take a couple of steps. Yeah, you cannot pull that bullet back. You don't know what the... So you got like the wind. You might know what the wind's doing where you're at, but hunting in the mountains or hunting in open country around topography and other things, you don't know what the wind's doing on its way there and what the wind's doing at the animal. And you don't know that that thing's not going to step. Now, the bullet's going to get there before the sound gets there, but a lot can happen in a couple seconds. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's 
features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. And this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. And it can go on and on, and, and it's it's a lifetime of podcasts worth of talking about it because there's the recovery. Recovery, it's a lot easier at 100 yards than it is at 400 yards. Yeah, uh, it, it, It's a dense topic. I don't like it. The I don't like the idea of taking super long shots. Uh, you know, a good way to not worry about all this stuff is just get in closer. Yeah. But... It is a thing, man. It's a thing that it, it comes up all the time. And I think you got every day, you got more and more guys who have bought a gun and all of a sudden they think they're Joe Long Ranger. And you just, there are so many problems with thousand yard shooting about where was that thing? How, how able are you to walk over and show me where that animal is standing and show me that there is or is not any sign of a hit, hair, blood, whatever? I need to know where it was standing. And I, I can recall lots of times that I've seen shots on animals at very close distance where that animal had almost an imperceptible reaction to a fatal hit at 200 yards, 250 yards, 350 yards. Oh, yeah. 
almost imperceptible. You could almost not tell that that thing got touched. And if you're telling me that you can shoot a thousand yards and I mean, you got to follow up on your shots. I mean, it just yeah. drives me crazy. Another I'm thing is what, what's pushed a lot of the super long range shooting is TV shows that deal in long range shooting is like popularized it and what they don't show. And I know this from, I mean, I, like I work in the industry, so I know things and talk to people and, you know, I, I just know things a lot of people don't. A big part of that stuff that they, that they just don't include, they don't include wound loss and they don't include the part where they're shooting at rocks and shit at the same distance to try to see, like they'll pick a rock a couple hundred yards away from whatever they're shooting at and have a spotter and the spotter be like, oh, you're three feet high on that rock conditions are such that you're three feet high on that rock and then they'll move over and shoot at the animal at those distances the animal can't really put it together what's going on and so it's like a common thing is to take some practice shots at stuff to try to get honed in with a spotter on how many moa you need to adjust for and then move over and start directing fire toward the critter my buddies were just hunting moose, and they were camping by these guys who were bragging up their recent caribou hunt, and they were shooting at some caribou that were 600 yards away, and then they were halfway through shooting into a herd of caribou, and they realized that there was a guy that was 300 yards away from those caribou putting a stalk on them while they're blasting away at the caribou. Didn't, didn't notice him. Didn't notice him. There's another guy down in Arizona, and it's I a good met way the, to not have fun in the woods. I met the people involved in this. There was a guy sneaking up on a black bear with a bow and arrow in Arizona, and the guy started shooting at the black bear from across the canyon and hit the bow hunter in the belt buckle with a rifle. Almost hey. killed the guy. That happened a few years ago. Wow. Floyd didn't even know that guy. Wow. All right. Can I, can I play Devil's Advocate yes, just please a little do. bit? Please. Somebody needs to. Because I already, I'm already talking about a couple long-range pokes I took. No, no, no. No. Um. I want to switch that over to shotguns and small game because I, I think the reason that we like to take short shots or keep it within our you know discipline you know level with big game and our rifles is because we want to be like our personal ethics towards the animal right to to make it a clean one shot kill right. Yet it seems like when we switch over to small game and shotguns and flying birds. All of a sudden, it's like, well, it's okay that I shot twenty times today and I killed two birds it's like you're missing you're wounding yes we get a couple so uh, yeah like it doesn't, no, doesn't seem like we're is it so as you've talked about it we're like you, we, yeah we, you we, give we, a level of respect to you give it a level animals. of respect yeah. to big game animals that are six seven eight ten twelve years old that have different kind of fecundity okay things that um, warrant a much more limited harvest than you do to, say, a cottontail rabbit that's capable of putting off 24 babies in a year, has a life expectancy of about four months. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I could see that if you were talking to an ethicist, which is the role you're playing right now, he would say, why does a elk warrant this great level of respect about clean kills you're virtually certain you're going to make a clean kill. Whereas a quail, you're like, what the hell? Blam, blam, blam. Yeah, that's a good question, man. You should bring it up next time. You should send in a question to the <laughs> media podcast. That, yeah. that, 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 that's great. You should, formally, great you should formally present your question because it's, it's a valid question. It is. Yeah. Here's one here. I don't want to answer, but it's a good question. Hey, we come- a lot. We'll wrap it up with this question. Really? Right. Yep. 
That's where we're at. No, we've got to do a couple more quickies. <laughs> we're at an hour? <laughs> hour 10. Okay, I want to do a question that I don't want to answer. Was that including the uh, uh, yeah. small break that we had? Wow. Sorry. All right, here's a question I'm not going to answer, but it's a good question. Have we come to a point where a safari is an outdated form of hunting? Here's a question I do want to answer. The meat, uh, okay, they, they always start with a little, they, they, they fluff you. This one starts with a little fluff. Then he goes on to say, um, oh, no, no, it's not a fluff. The Meat Eater podcast have given out great information on how to hunt western states as a non-resident. But I was wondering if they could address westerners going out east for a whitetail hunt. Great question. We never talked about this. Because me and Yanni, Callahan's from Callahan. You're from you're, uh, Garrett's, Montana-born. Callahan's, Montana-born. Utah. Utah. Okay. Because me and Yanni are from Michigan. Our focus is on getting out there, getting out west and getting after it. But let's say the other boys here uh, were wondering, like, well, how do you go east and do the kind of hunting you guys used to grow up hunting? Um, I never wondered that. So from my understanding, <laughs> you in some states get multiple tags. Um, takes a long time to draw a deer tag out west. Yeah. So, dude out west wants to go whitetail hunting. Everybody's always talking about how to live out east and come out west to hunt. What about a guy that wants to go out west and go east to hunt? I would say this. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're not gonna, you want to do a do-it-yourself hunt. If not, you're not going to be asked. If you're going with a guide, you don't do anything but make sure you got your underwear and socks packed up. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. I was, yeah. Even then, you'll probably send someone to get them for you. Yeah, I, I don't know if it'll be so much a do it yourself everybody can do it themselves it'll be more of a public versus private just because there's a lot less public land back there yeah so i would say this as far as tags go generally i'm, I'm generalizing generally a non-resident i mean and i mean way generally because there's only a couple states where this isn't true generally a non-resident in the eastern u.s can go into a licensed dealer and get a general season buck tag or get a general season tag that would be good for any deer with a bow or good for a buck with a rifle. You could probably kill several does if you wanted to. In some states, you can kill several bucks if you wanted to. It's generally over-the-counter hunting in the east for white-tailed deer with long seasons and bow seasons that start in late September, early October, and rifle seasons that are generally run around for a couple weeks in November. Anyone got a problem with that? Okay. Michigan, where I grew up, at the time I was growing up, bow season started October 1. You could hunt with your bow up till December 31st. They even had some late seasons that were good for after that. And then you had a 10-day rifle season. Same deer tag. With bow, it was any deer tag. With gun, it was a buck tag. But you could also go buy one or two or more doe tags every year to use with your rifle. Or your bow. So you don't need to do a whole lot of planning ahead yeah, the and only, preference pointing and all that stuff, except for like Kansas. Yeah, the only eastern states that I know of. Which isn't even the east, really. Yeah. Well, Kansas, I put in for whitetail points there. I think I paid $25 a year for a point. And then I know that Iowa also does. I think to draw like the good, you know, rifle December tag in Iowa, I believe it takes non-resident about four years. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, but what if uh, Garrett and I, to use the kind of... East versus West. Two Montana Hicks wanting to go out. <laughs> yeah. I say, Garrett, let's do this. 
What do you say we grab us some beer, hop on a plane, and head for <laughs> Wisconsin and try to get a couple of whitetails? Yeah. So, okay, we land in some some place in Wisconsin. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Madison. Madison. That's get, where I would go. Get uh, more beer. <laughs> we get properly stocked up on provisions. We I would get go to Madison tags. and drive in a southwesterly yeah, direction. Get some new, new Glarus. <laughs> Beer. Yeah, Glarus. Glarus is, yeah. Okay, so, so you guys are all beard up. <laughs> okay, and we got our we're legal. We got our tags, got um uh licenses and how do we then go about finding that's a place I'm, to go? That's what I'm gonna talk about next. What do we have to do to be prepared? Like do we have to pack tree stands? So I'm gonna talk about next. Okay. If I was in this situation I would, and this is not the same advice I'd give to someone from the East going West, because you have in the East, you have a lot, lot less public land, and you have a lot more people vying for that land. You got Western states that are 50, 60, 70, 80% federally owned, state owned, plenty of public land. They got populations that are less than more most Eastern U.S. cities, okay? There's a lot of ground to go around. In the East, that's not the case. It takes, I'm generalizing, and there's guys like Chris Eberhart has written books about do-it-yourself Eastern whitetail hunting, how to find public land Eastern whitetails. He, but he's an expert at it, and he devoted his life to it. Um, for an Easterner to come out West and hunt, you just got to have some gur. Right, you gotta have a little bit of gur, half a brain, and know how to read a map, and you're gonna find public land hunting opportunities in the east. I'm sorry, and there's gonna be a million guys, not a million, but a lot of guys are gonna be like, oh, that's not true. It takes a little bit of, it takes some it, to have a successful hunt. If you got a week to hunt, ten days to hunt, some local knowledge goes a long, long way in even trying to crack the door on public land whitetail hunting east of the Mississippi. It can be done, but it's tough. And believe me, I grew up doing it, you know. But my dad had done it before. You know, it's like we'd like new guys. It's like it's hard. It's hard to just roll in and start doing it unless you're a very good, you're very good with maps, you're very resourceful, you understand the system, how to like identify chunks of land that other guys aren't hunting, how to identify chunks of land that other guys might not even know are public. I'll point out, we have a ton of information on this very thing in the Complete Guide to Hunting, Butchering, and Cooking Wild Game. Like how to find public land that people don't realize is public. Hidey holes. We talked about this for a long time over dinner last yeah. night. Easements, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Accessing, like walking up a navigable stream in order to get to a state section that you can't get to via road, but you can get to it if you stay below a high watermark in a river and wade up with waders. That kind of sneaky stuff is good. If I was out west and I wanted to go east deer hunt, I would start really just asking a lot of questions and talking to a lot of people and trying friends of friends and colleagues and family and, and just kind of feeling out for a crew of guys that likes to hunt and that are going to throw you a little bit of information. What about, too, that 
some states in the east or midwest slug only yeah like, like maryland i know yeah yeah for sure. and i guess you'd figure that out when you southern half it. of michigan or southern third of michigan is like yeah. that so yeah that's just like a that's like a legal thing you have to figure out like yeah you have all kinds of legal requirements you got to figure out um but i think on the land thing i think that you could if you just love to hunt whitetails well you know i'm kind of contradicting myself man because one time me I was living in Montana, and me and two of my, both my brothers and another buddy of ours went down to Alabama to hunt deer in January, and we hunted Tuskegee National Forest for about a week. We all killed a buck. But my other brother was going to grad school at Auburn and had dabbled around in the area a little bit. So he had kind of done a little groundwork. We had seven days to hunt, but he already had a, like a working knowledge of an area. What you might do, and this is like, this gets out of the realm of possibility. You might fly out. If there's some way to do it, fly out a month before season and spend a few days figuring stuff out. Or just agree that you're going to do like an annual thing and get to know an area. But I would think the best bet would be to just to really pursue any leads you can through friends, family friends, colleagues, your old lady's family, and just try to find someone on the ground there who can give you some up-to-date information on private land connections, guys who are, and there's always guys looking to get rid of deer, but they don't want to just open up the gates and let a bunch of yahoos in there with guns. They're trying to be a little bit you know, smart about who's on their property. Work those or work it from a guy who'd be like, yeah, man, you know, I'll help you out. And maybe someday you'll help me out when I come out to hunt your place. A thing to remember about Eastern whitetails is that you don't need huge chunks of land to have a successful hunt. Um, my dad's got a, a buddy that has, I think, 10 or 12 acres in southern Indiana, and he kills deer on it every year. You know? no, Yeah, but, no he, just, but he didn't just fly in from out of town and find it. Yeah. No, no, no. But my point is, is that like, yeah, so he's, he has the knowledge, you know, that those 10 acres, you know, produce a deer. My point is, is that there's a lot of um, private land back east that can, uh, for, I feel like leases and trespass fees sound like this huge amount of money always, where sometimes maybe just to access 40 or 80 acres, there could be plenty of, you know, ground to hunt some whitetails. You might be able to get into that for a couple hundred bucks. You know, if you're already going to spend a couple hundred on your tag, it's like kick down a couple hundred bucks. And a lot of times that comes with some lodging. You might be able to stay in a little cabin and have 80 acres of private land to hunt for a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. So. I would say, though. A couple of dudes from Montana, coveralls, Arctic Pro muck boots. <laughs> yeah. Log at you. I actually think it'd be more, this is a bold statement, I think it'd be more daunting for a, a, a guy born and raised, let's say in Montana, let's say because we're in Idaho, a guy born and raised in Idaho, if he said, I got seven days, I'm going to go out on a DIY, do-it-yourself whitetail hunt in Illinois public land never been there before and get a buck meanwhile a guy in illinois said i'm gonna go out to idaho diy public land and get a buck i'd bet my money on the guy standing in illinois 
who's going to Idaho rather than the guy in Idaho going to Illinois. I would put my money on him. All other things being equal. All other things being equal. I'd, and I said, like, who's going to get the buck? I'd be like, the guy going to Idaho is going to get the buck because he's got a lot of land that he can just go and access right now. Yeah, and seven if, days of walking. You're, you're going to turn, turn, turn some up. But as, you as go long to Illinois, as they both can walk. But you're going to go to Illinois, and you go there the day before, and be like, man, there's deer all over this little state game management area along this creek that's 100 acres. And then he comes back on opening day, and there's 14 trucks in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, I he's, Everywhere he goes, there's some guy shining a flashlight at him and be like, hey, I'm over here, man. I'm over here. I have heard that story so many times. Well, just like, I mean, I see somebody parked at a trailhead here. I'm like, well, better go to the next trailhead. Yeah. Even though a hundred thousand acre chunk of national forest yeah. land, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not going to hunt around some dickhead in the woods. I'll go to the next trailhead. All right, one last question: Have you ever hunted Roosevelt elk? Nope. All right, meet your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, forgot one thing. Uh, Yanni, give us an update on on uh, hunt to eat t-shirts. Oh man, now you can go to hunteat.com and buy a Wisconsin. Hunt to eat T-shirt. You can buy an Alaska Hunt to Eat T-shirt. Idaho, not yet. Really? No. Cal, it's a weird looking state. Probably, you know, it's hard to make a shirt with that state <laughs> on there. Um, Hunt to eat. Oh, can did I let the cat out of the bag? I've always maintained that I have no connection to Hunt to Eat, and I don't except that I'm friends with Yanni. Um, he doesn't give me anything. I one time asked him to tie me a couple of flies for yellow perch, and never even tied them. So it's like. It's like the opposite of me owing Yanni a favor. <laughs> so I don't want you to think I'm plugging Yanni's t-shirts for personal gain because he won't even tie me a, like the stupidest looking fly on the planet. He won't even tie it for me. Um, just a little bucktail and a red little head on it. Uh, so yeah, I have nothing to gain. But Yanni is working on a meat eater hunt to eat t-shirt. And more than likely by the time you listen to this podcast, those will be at the meat eater merch store and it's yeah, with the moose forks yes right like a little cartoon bubble coming out of the moose's mouth that says hunt to eat oh <laughs> did you guys think of that <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna call his, he's gonna hang up and call the designer and be like hold on dude stop, stop the presses get <laughs> a little speed bump here cal's got it um what all states you got hunt to eat colorado montana Wisconsin, Alaska, Texas. Then we have a couple generic hunt to eat. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what state you're in. But I want to point out that it seems to be slightly randomized what states you decide to do and not. Is that right? We put a lot of thought into what states we're deciding to do. Well, you haven't done the states with the most licensed hunters. No, we haven't. You didn't but, go in that order. But we've thought about that, but we've been doing the like most requests, and uh, we, we look at where, oh. where our you know, traffic comes from. Oh, so you're being scientific about it. A little bit. You're being all trying, tech. You're yeah, being all techy about be, it. Trying to be. They're just excluding I do want to, giant it, number. If you're going to give me a second to do my hunt to eat pitch oh, yeah, for, on this podcast. There's a pitch? Well, you well, always ask me to, and I never really have it. So okay. I've kind of been thinking so about it. So your concluding thought, time. you're a lot of concluding thought. Yeah. Your concluding thought could be your pitch. I already used mine. My concluding thought was your T-shirts. So your concluding thought can continue mine and do your pitch. I get to go now? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if you haven't gone to the website yet, Hunt to Eat spawned from 
us just wanting to make some cool hunting t-shirts because we just like I, I was sick of going to Cabela's and Sportsman's Warehouse and just being like, man, I'm a hunter and I want to wear some hunting t-shirts, but there's just nothing in this store that I want to wear, you know? And I had a lot of friends that were like, like you hard- know, like the happiness is a gut pile t-shirt? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just not my thing. So as kind of an answer to that, we felt like there's this white space. We're like, man, let's make some a hunting t-shirt that's just a little bit hipper and what I want to get to is I say we, and that's because it's my brother and I that do this. Motting, who a lot of times is with us here on meetings or shoots, but um, he puts a lot of effort into this. So um, maybe going forward, we, you can say, uh, go ahead and uh, give you a pitch for your you and your brother's t-shirt company. Let me get this straight. You're more worried about giving credit out where credit is due than just selling the t-shirts? That's noble. That's a good man right there. That's a good man. <laughs> <laughs> I have kind of a thought. I didn't know where that was, I didn't know where that was going, man. I was getting ready to be thrown under the bus. That rounds about to the one of the is first this, conversations. Is this thought? Yes. Oh. I've been sitting here smelling mule deer very strongly, and you know I, I always kind of get a little dirty on my on my pants, in particular mm-hmm. when uh, I'm field dressing a mule deer. But it just dawned on me that possibly why that mule deer smell is so strong is that I dressed, basically dressed the mule deer up in the t-shirt that I'm wearing now. Do you have the t-shirt back on? Yeah. It's black. Cal is wearing his black bear repellent right now. So the black bear. So you took the shirt off the deer and got it back on. I didn't bring that many shirts. Huh. So yes. I'm wearing one of your shirts. Yeah. And I gave Garrett the other shirt. We share t-shirts. You got any concluding thoughts? We're backpacking, man. A, we're ultra light. Yeah. One t-shirt. What's going on in First Light, Callahan? So many things. We got all sorts of people in there these days, and it's fun. Products are getting better, and new stuff's even cooler than before. And I was in there. Can I say something about some a new product I saw? Is it's probably hush hush. I just saw some really cool looking stuff in there. I, I won't say anything. No, else, go for it. Is that new balaclava? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The new mitts. New mitts are cool. I like those mitts. But you guys are using like a, um, what do they call that, like a high pile fleece? That's actually wool. That's wool in there? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's super soft. Same stuff that's inside. It's a long. Same stuff that's inside the uh, the mitts Ooh, that we buddy. took to BC. Oh, that's wool in there? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's why it kind of balls up a little bit. Huh. I like I'm telling minutes. you, if you're a cold weather hunter, you're going to be stoked. Adam, concluding thoughts? Um, I don't know. This has been quite an interesting trip with you all. So it's been fun. You think you'll come back? If you guys will have me, for sure. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't complain. No, no. And I, you know, I ran around with Callahan, so I had plenty to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never heard that so succinctly put before. <laughs> Garrett? Some of the best country to be sweaty and hurt knees and hiking in. You can see a lot. It's been a cool, cool trip. But I mean, concluding thoughts about right then, right now. Oh, mm. like any concluding thoughts based on the you know. oh the podcast. Yeah. Keep those questions coming, folks. <laughs> 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 All right. Um. Yeah. All right. Meteor Podcast. Tune in next time. 
uh, and, and it's go, go to send your questions. Go to uh, themeateater.com and put in questions or go to, uh, you go to Facebook, look up Meat Eater on Facebook. You can post questions there and they'll get put in the right thing. And coming up, we're going to start doing a question of the question of the day deal and answer questions every day. So answer 365 questions a year. Yanni thinks we ought to send everyone who gets a question picked a t-shirt, but that's a hell of a lot of t-shirts to be mailing around. Um, we'll see. Might do that. All right. Take care. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.